Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and reading today from a book entitled The Christian in Complete Armor. This is volume one of a three-volume set. William Gurnall is the author. He was the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679. We're picking it up at the subtitle that says The Significance of God's Strength. Roman numeral one, the nature of the saint's conscience. Man's conscience, like his physical body, is created by God. It is therefore in its very nature to depend on him for being and for operation. The capacity to be and to act in and of oneself is an incommunicable property of the deity. It can never be imparted to a creature. God alone is the source and sustainer of all life. Therefore, it is his constant regenerating power that keeps the conscience alive. Conscience may be defined as that divine influence at work in man to restrain him from sin. One evidence of its origin is that it always speaks against sin and for righteousness. Therefore, it cannot be the product of our own hearts, which in their fallen state are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, as in Jeremiah 17.9. God uses the conscience to give some knowledge of his righteousness to all, so that no one can stand before him on the day of judgment and plead ignorance. That's in Romans 1. When you become a Christian and consecrate yourself, conscience and all, to him, the Holy Spirit begins in earnest to perfect you in Christ. It is said when God made the world, he ended his work of creation. That is, he made no more new species of creatures. And yet to this day, he has not ended his work of providence. My father works hitherto, Christ said. In other words, he continually preserves and empowers what he has made with strength to be and to act. A work of art, when completed, no longer needs the artist, nor a house, the carpenter, when the last nail is in place. But God's works, on behalf of both the outer and the inner man, are never off his hands. If the Father's work is a preserving one, the Son's is a redemptive one. Both acts are perpetual. Christ did not end his work when he rose from the dead, just as the Father did not end his work when he finished creation. God rested at the end of creation, and Christ, when he had wrought eternal redemption and by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, and from there he continues the work of intercession for the saint, and thereby keeps him from certain ruin. Roman numeral two, the character of the conscience. The Christian's conscience is not only a creation, but it is a weak creation uh, in constant combat with superior forces. It is a favorite target of Satan, perhaps because he finds it so easily distracted by the cares of this world and so easily pacified by its pleasures. Even the strongest saint will surrender if no help comes in. Like a crown prince in the cradle, the conscience is helpless to defend itself. Satan would quickly usurp the throne of heaven, 
if heaven did not take the saint into protection. To crush the insurrection, God conquers the believer's heart and brings his own will into it to govern the conscience. But just as in a conquered city, some yield eagerly to the new government while others continuously plot its overthrow, so some parts of our old nature refuse to give up without a fight. For this reason, it takes the same power to keep a heart as to win it at first. We Christians have a, an unregenerate part which is discontented at a change in management. Who among us has not felt the pull of his lower nature, extolling the virtues of self? We balk as much to come under submission to Christ's scepter as the Sodomites did to submit to Lot's judgment. We are so stubborn and self-willed that if God did not continually reinforce his newly planted colony in our hearts, the very natives, that is, corruptions, that are left would come out of their dens and holes where they lie lurking and eat up what little good conscience we have. Our best intentions would be to these devourers as breadcrumbs to birds. Roman numeral three, the nature of God's plan. The third reason for relying on God's strength resides in the nature of his saving and keeping plan. God made it his priority to bring the saints to heaven in a way which would be a constant reminder of his love and mercy. He is a wise father who knows the flighty temperament of even his most obedient children. And so he thinks to help them by visiting often and tucking in their empty hands this or that grace just when it is needed most. This way of communicating gives a double accent to his love and mercy. It reminds us of the true source of all blessing and it assures that our needs can always be met. When you find any comfort in your soul, any added strength in duty, or any support in temptation, it distills a special sweetness into your life to consider what friend sent these blessings. They do not come from your own supply or anyone else's. It is the Heavenly Father who slips quietly in and leaves the sweet perfume of His comfort. It is His kind spirit that holds your head and calms your heart while the trial rages within. It is his pungent fragrance that keeps you from fainting in unbelief. What soul, thus comforted, could for a moment doubt the love and concern of such a parent? I ask you, which friend loves you more? The one who, hearing you are in need, promptly writes out a check, puts it in the mail, and considers his obligation to you paid in full, or the one who drops everything, comes to your house, and does not leave until he is satisfied that all your needs have been cared for. Ah, but he is not through yet. He keeps coming back until the crisis is completely past. Unless you are too proud to face your benefactor or love money above all else, you must certainly prefer the comfort of the second. God is the latter friend. He comes to our hearts, checks the cupboards, sees how bare they are, and sends in provisions accordingly. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things, and you shall have them. 
He knows you need strength to pray, to hear, to suffer for him. Trust him to keep your pantry well stocked. God chooses this method to assure our strength will never be in short supply. If the provisions were left in our own hands, we would soon be bankrupt merchants. God knows we are weak like cracked pitchers. If filled to the brim and set aside, the contents would soon leak out. And so he puts under us a uh, puts us under a flowing fountain of his strength and constantly refills us. This was the provision he made for Israel in the wilderness. He split the rock, and not only was their thirst quenched at that moment, but the water ran in a stream after them, so that you hear no more complaints for water. This rock was Christ. Every believer has Christ at his back, following him as he goes, with strength for every condition and trial. Roman numeral four the nature of God. Finally, the Christian ought to rely on divine strength because this plan results in the greatest advancement of God's own glory. If God had given you a lifetime supply of his grace to begin with and left you to handle your own account, you would have thought him generous indeed, but he is magnified even more by the open account he sets up in your name. Now you must acknowledge not only that your strength comes from God in the first place, but that you are continually in debt for every withdrawal of strength you make throughout your Christian course. When a child travels with his parents, all his expenses are covered by his father, not by himself. Likewise, no saint shall say of heaven when he arrives there, This is heaven which I have built by the power of my own might, like Nebuchadnezzar. No, the heavenly Jerusalem is a city whose builder and maker is God. Every grace is a stone in that building, the top stone of which is laid in glory. Some day the saints shall plainly see how God was not only the founder to begin, but benefactor also to finish the same. The glory of the work will not be crumbled out piecemeal, some to God and some to the creature. All will be entirely credited to God. And then a solemn warning. Is the Christian's strength in the Lord and not in himself? Surely then the person outside of Christ must be a poor, impotent creature, helpless to do anything to affect his own salvation. If a living tree cannot grow without sap from the taproot, how can a rotten stump, which has no root, revive itself of its own accord? In other words, if a Christian, imbued with God's grace, must continually rely on his strength, then surely the one outside of God's grace, dead in trespasses and sin, can never produce such strength in himself. To be unregenerate is to be impotent. When we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. The philosophy called humanism has long been a suitor to man's pride. It boasts in his natural strength and wisdom and woos him with promises of grand accomplishments now and heaven later. God himself has scattered such Babel builders and proclaimed his preeminence for eternity. 
confounded forever be such sons of pride, who trust in the power of nature as though man with his own brick and mortar of natural abilities were able to make a way to heaven. You who are yet in your natural state, would you become wise to salvation? Then first become fools in your own eyes. Renounce this carnal wisdom which cannot perceive spiritual things, and beg wisdom of God who gives without rebuke. Here is a word for Christians. Knowing your strength lies wholly in God and not in yourself, remain humble. Even when God is blessing and using you most, remember, when you have your best suit on, who made it and who paid for it? God's favor is neither the work of your own hands nor the price of your own worth. How can you boast of what you did not buy? If you embezzle God's strength and credit it to your own account, He will soon call an audit and take back what was his all along. Even when he seems the most generous with your spiritual allowance, he still keeps the account in his own name and can at once reduce you to spiritual poverty if you misappropriate his grace. Walk humbly, therefore, before God and manage well the strength you have, remembering that it is borrowed strength. What kind of man will waste what he begs? Or who will give to a pauper who squanders what he has already been given? How can you look God in the face and ask for more if you misspend what you have already so graciously received? And I have to say to that, Amen, as we stop there before we go on to number four, an admonition to appropriate the power of his might next time. Thank you so much for being here today and do look around the site at other great preachers and teachings and words of North Korea and admonitions to pray for them. There's just a lot of things on this site. Would you look around? I do hope you will. Meanwhile, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. We're releasing this audio on the 27th of February, 2023. God bless you. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.